You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. Today we're covering Chapter 16, otherwise known as Season 2, Episode 8, The Rescue of the Mandalorian. We've been covering every Mandalorian-themed episode from... Clone Wars to Rebels to The Mandalorian, and this is our last one. This is the finale of Season 2 of The Mandalorian and the finale of Season 2 of Force Runs Rewatch. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's a good time uh, to be alive. It is, yeah. <laughs> but before we get into that, we are going to have Ryan do a bit. Ryan, what's the bit? Yes. So, uh, as many of you probably don't know... Andy and I both worked as baristas, not at the same time, not even in the same state, certainly not in the same corporation, but we have. Uh, And that is a very unique life experience that is sort of a job like no other. And so I want Andy to tell me in their humblest of opinions, because a barista is always humble, Uh, Who in the galaxy would make the best barista and who in the galaxy would make the worst barista? Single caveat here, you're not allowed to say Dexter Jetster because he's the closest thing we have seen to a barista on screen already. That was going to be my answer. That was going to be mine too, and I decided it was cheating. All right, Uh, this is tricky. Um, I think the best barista would be Captain Rex. Oh. Not the clone, oh. uh, but the but the pilot turns DJ. Okay, why? Uh, if I remember anything from Star Tours, it's that Captain Rex handles stress very well, and uh, he's got all them limbs, so that would be real helpful. That is fair. And I'm going to say worst barista would maybe like Pong Krell. Okay. Uh, because he's an asshole. And he's... Uh, a barista has to be likable to rake in those tips. Yeah, you know, he's the he's sort of the anti-dex, too. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the negadex. Yeah. I like that. Those are good answers. What, uh, what about you? What are your answers? So, the best barista, in my opinion, is Wedge. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. Because a barista, you know, you're you're sort of a concierge for your city in a lot of ways. Like I found people would ask me about the area and and you got to have some good, uh, good anecdotes, good stories. And Wedge has all of the stories of like a Poe Dameron or a Lando or another Star Wars adventurer and all of the charisma, but really none of the arrogance. And I think the worst barista is Kylo Ren. Because people say some stupid shit to you, and you cannot lose your temper. 
Yeah. Kylo would hold that job for about five minutes, and then he would destroy an espresso machine and have to leave. Good answers. Uh, you got me thinking Likewise. Lobot would also be Ooh, a good... Lobot? Good but is Lobot personable enough for it? He would be a good, like, shift supervisor or store manager. He's uh, he's pretty personable in the Lando comic. True. He's personable. But that's, yeah. that's when he still has his... His personality, but... That Lobot would be very good. Uh, did you do anything Star Wars and fun for Halloween? Uh, I did not do anything specifically Star Wars, but I did dress as a guy who decided to be Anakin Skywalker two days before Halloween. I was going to my friend's house and just small gathering like us and his brother. And uh, I didn't want to put on the whole Anakin armor, but I wanted to rep Star Wars. So I wore like an Anakin Skywalker hoodie and a belt and a plain glove and carried a toy lightsaber. And I was a guy who decided to be Anakin at the last minute. I also That's drew the fun. scar on my face with eyeliner, but like really shitty. I do like that hoodie. It's a very comfortable hoodie. I love that hoodie so much. How about you? Did you do anything? Oh, yes, you did. Please tell the people, speaking of Anakin. I I was Anakin Skywalker. Yes, um, you were. Oh, I, man. For any Rebel Legion or 501st connoisseurs out there, I don't have the boots yet, and I'm missing one of the pouches. But otherwise, uh, it is a uh, damn good Anakin costume. Yes. And... Yeah, we went to our my mother-in-law's place and handed out candy for like an hour and a half. And uh, I've cosplayed a lot of Star Wars characters, but none that like little kids care about. And having kids geek out over seeing Anakin was really, really cool. It was Isn't very it? fun. Kids have this thing with Anakin where like, I don't know, they like when you're Luke... You're their buddy, and, and like they respond to Ray in a certain way, but Anakin is like their hero, which is a little weird. There was one kid who was old enough to like do the math about his age and and like relationship to Anakin that like he was a youngling and oh, no. he was terrified. Oh but no. Bes- besides him, everyone was that Anakin. Everyone, like, hero-worshipped me, uh, which sounds really, really conceited. But, you know, I guess that's in character for Anakin. It was really cool. It It was was a fun experience, for sure. Yes, yes. There's always, you know, when a kid says, like, you're my favorite Jedi when you're Luke, oh, thanks. But with Anakin, please, please relish that. There's There's just, you know, you're my favorite Jedi. Well, tell me something surprising. You know, you... The hero with it. no fear. Yeah. Yes. Oh, good throwback. Good throwback. Dark Horse Republic. Okay. It was uh, It was very fun. Highly recommend uh, dressing up in your best Star Wars costume on Halloween to hand out candy to kids. Yeah. It's, uh, a good time. Yeah. Glad you had fun. What did Evan wear? Uh, Evan was Gideon from the Locked Tomb trilogy. Ooh. And, uh, lot That's of- right. A lot of spooky, like, face paint and a big sword. Uh, It's very cool. Those are great books, by the way. If you are into, like, sci-fi fantasy, like, being smashed together, uh, which this is a Star Wars podcast, so I guess you're you're somewhat into that. 
Uh, it's it's very good, and it's all about necromancers and lesbians in space. Right on. And they're exploring like a haunted space castle. It's it's good shit. Love it. Yeah, so I guess we should talk about the Mandalorian now. Ten minutes in, let's do it. So, we watched the finale. It opens with uh, Boba Fett in Boba Fett's spaceship doing a a space jacking, and they, they board a Imperial shuttle. I love that, like, even all this time after Endor, when you want to infiltrate an Imperial base, you steal a shuttle. You steal uh, an Imperial shuttle. Uh, It's a great ship design, so I'm glad that that has become, like, a trope now. Because it's uh, it's one of my favorite ships. Yeah. But they kidnap uh, poor gay Dr. Pershing, and uh, he, like, joins the squad this episode, which is fun. Uh, He, like, helps them plan their, their heist. And the plan is for them to crash land by pretending Boba Fett is attacking them and then girl boss gatekeep gaslight team is going to like attack the bridge and Mando is going to sneak sneaky sneak sneak in uh, and disable the dark troopers and then rescue baby Yoda Bo-Katan is assuming that uh, Moff Gideon will be on the bridge and she'll get to duel him but he did a a sneaky sneak and is holding baby Yoda uh, hostage we get a pretty fun uh, fight with a dark trooper and then we get a fun duel with Gideon and then uh, Mando uh, brings him to the bridge and is like he is my prisoner and Bo-Katan is like you dumb fuck (laughs) I said I had to fight him what do you think you're doing? And he's like, you can just have this this dumb Mando saver. And she's like, I can't. And Gideon is like, yeah, you two have to fight now. And Din is like, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> and then they get uh, interrupted by all the dark troopers being like, hey, we're back. Let's uh, let's let's uh, let's do this. And they're like, oh fuck, what are we gonna do? And then Gideon. Pulls a blaster because fucking uh, Turf McGee just sat him down next to a blaster. And he, like a dummy, shoots Bo-Katan in the chest armor like four times instead of, you know, anywhere that's exposed. Uh, But uh, he then goes to shoot the child and and Din dives in front and takes the hits in his his chest armor. And then... uh, Luke Skywalker uh, <laughs> comes and saves the day, and that's uh, Din takes off his helmet, and it's real sad. Uh, that's that's the episode, Ryan. Yeah. Do you like this episode? I love Luke Skywalker. Yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You like that, this episode? I, you know, um, it wasn't. It it didn't grip me like it seemed to grip everybody else until that X wing showed up. And then I was in. I liked it. I didn't... I didn't feel any kind of tension. I knew they were going to rescue the baby. You know, Luke was the only thing that really kind of blindsided me. But I loved it. I loved it once he showed up. That really did it for me. I know that you feel a little differently, if I recall. Yeah, I don't like this episode. Um, (laughs) 
the stuff that works doesn't stand out to me any more than like other episodes. Like it is overall like a perfectly fine episode of the Mandalorian, but then the stuff that doesn't work for me really doesn't work for me and kind of drags this episode down. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk positives, though. Let's talk about the good things in this episode. Uh, what's what's something that obviously you said, Luke? Uh, what what about Luke showing up? Like, does it for you? I think just seeing him in his prime. Like, it's no secret that I love what the sequel trilogy did with Luke, but it almost means all the more now that we see like the Flash Gordon Luke Skywalker, the pulp hero who can do anything, Luke Skywalker, carry a sword and face down the First Order. Like, we see what he's running from. And I just think that that was important to the saga overall. Uh, I also... I mean, I don't think that it was as well executed as it it ought to have been. I think they needed more time, honestly, on the CG. I know that you support recasting the character more than I do. Um, I just thought that he was perfectly written, too. Like, he, you know, obviously keeping the dialogue to the minimum was a technical limitation as much as anything. But I just love seeing Luke as, like, the mysterious stranger who blows in and saves the day and blows away. Let's, uh... Let's chuck our format out the window. Let's just talk about the Luke thing, because that yeah. is that is my biggest issue with this episode. Um, did you play the, the story mode in Battlefront 2? Oh, yes. Uh, for listeners at home, there is an episode where you are playing an Imperial sniper and you meet Luke Skywalker and you have to team up together even though you're an Imperial commando and he's the hero of the, the rebellion, you got to team up and you got to fight these like fucking monster things. And you end up becoming friends and Luke ends up letting you go at the end. And he talks about how everyone like has a choice to do better. And that's what Luke believes in. And it's this really beautiful, like, moment and scene and that is the only part with luke skywalker in that game yeah he shows up he saves you he gives this really like fucking meaningful speech about like what luke believes in and then he goes and it works really really well it they like perfectly captured the voice of jedi master luke skywalker and not only that Bringing Luke in there meant something. It was a moment that only Luke could have done. And I don't think that's the case here. I don't think Interesting. I don't think this moment with Luke could have only been Luke. Uh I think Plo Koon could have worked. <laughs> I think Ezra could have worked. Uh, I think Ahsoka could have doubled back and decided she needed to come save the baby. I think Ahsoka could have done this. Um, Any number of 
Jedi that may or may not still be out there could have done this. Like Cal Kestis could have been this character to show up, fight the the baddies and take the baby away like this. There was nothing about this moment that it needed to be Luke Skywalker. So it just kind of felt fan service-y. Huh. And then a lot of decisions, I think, hurt the performance. Like, trying to shove Mark Hamill into this performance hurt it drastically. Uh, it felt like a cutscene in Dark Forces 2 to me. <laughs> like... The the face is covered the entire time. Well, it's it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, they they minimally have Luke talk, which I think really fucking hurts the scene. Um, oh, interesting. I I don't know. And the the like visual of Luke holding the baby is incredible, and the visual of Grogu interacting with R two is. Yeah is dope. Like it's really, really fucking cool. But if they were set on doing this, absolutely bring Mark in to help him coach the, the new kid, but fucking recast because this uncanny Valley and this hiding Luke's face with the hood and it's bad. It doesn't work. So Luke hasn't changed his clothes in five years. <laughs> it's uh... bad. There it's it bad. is. It's hard to notice, but as somebody who obsesses over the costume, the only thing he's wearing that he wore in Return of the Jedi is the belt buckle and the glove. the The black outfit itself has been retailored to be more in line with the prequel Jedi, and I do like that. I wish we could have seen more of it, and I wish maybe it was a little more varied in color palette, so you could make out that he was wearing something different. But he is wearing something different. As for could it only be Luke Skywalker, I have to disagree for two reasons. One that's kind of wishful thinking. I want R2-D2 to have been the one to rescue Grogu from the Jedi Temple. That aside, um, I think it had to be Luke Skywalker because the, the dramatic tension at the end of the episode is simply, besides the Darksaber thing, is Grogu is safe but it broke Din's heart. You know what I'm saying? That's that's where we need to be emotionally with Grogu and Din. We can't be worried about Grogu's safety so much. Like, okay, Kylo Ren is on the horizon, but there's a long way. Uh, we, we need to know that Grogu is with someone safe and kind-hearted who will genuinely look after him. And while the Mandalorian has been really good at introducing obscure characters like Bo-Katan and Ahsoka in a way that the general audience understands them and, you know, knows who they are. You can't in the span of this episode, make the audience trust a brand new character like Ezra or Cal Kestis or something brand new to most of them in the same way that the last 40 years have made them trust Luke Skywalker. I think for the dramatic tension of the final scene to say what the filmmakers need it to say to set up the next season, it needed to be somebody that the audience already trusts more than anyone else in the show. And I think Luke was the only option. Then he needed to do and say something that felt Luke Skywalkery, <laughs> Because I, he doesn't. He doesn't do or say anything that makes him feel like Luke Skywalker. My point about it being like anyone could have done that 
is because all he did was show up, kick ass, and then be like, I can take your kid. He doesn't say anything poignant. He doesn't, like, he and Din don't, like, really talk much at all. I think Din asks him, like, two questions. Like. I mean, I do like the line, talent without training is nothing. But, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying in that regard. That doesn't feel like something Luke would say either, though. Really? He didn't have any training when he blew up the Death Star. He just jumped in a T-16 and, uh, or sorry, T-65 <sighs> and, and shot a proton torpedo with his targeting computer turned off. Like, well, Yeah, but he had practice in the T-16. He knew that you have to own your... A crop duster is not like flying a fighter jet. He had no training. Yeah. He was, he mean... was like Bo and Luke Duke. On uh, that, in Hazard County in his T sixteen, <laughs> he didn't have any like fighter training. The whole thing is that the T sixteen has the same controls as the X wing because they're That's made by the same corporation. Because oh, they know. needed to bullshit explain it away. I know. I don't know. I thought. I guess I just thought for the general audience, like it, it had to be Luke Skywalker. And like I, I fully comprehend everything you're saying. Like yeah. I, I get on a meta level. Like, the audience needed to feel comfortable with where Grogu was going. Yeah. And the the person, by and large, who the audience would accept to take Baby Yoda away is Luke Skywalker. My issue is, then, he needed to do or say something that felt like something only Luke could do or say to, like, justify the big moment of bringing I, Luke back. I guess and I just can't think of anything. For me, it needed to be something like a choice to do better. Yeah. Like, he needed to do or say something like justifying bringing him into Battlefront 2 after, uh, you know, in a a storyline that takes place after Return of the Jedi that really, like, makes the cameo worth it. And for me, this was not it. But I guess now, then I also th- recognize I'm in the minority here because there are tons of people who like this fucking was a grand slam, but uh, it it didn't hit for me, and I also think it will age pretty poorly. I guess my question then is what, like, what does Luke have to teach any of the people present? Obviously, Din and Bo have something to learn about the Darksaber, but also they need to learn that they need to learn that lesson later. Like Del, the the Battlefront moment works because Luke has something to teach Del concisely in that moment. I don't know what like it would have needed to have been, but I'm also not. A, a writer, so it's not my decision <laughs> to That's to fair. say like what shoehorns re- like. They had all season knowing yeah. this was coming. They could have written a problem into the story that needed Luke Skywalker to be the solution. That's true. That's true. on an in-universe level, and they didn't do that. That's a good uh, point. Because anyone could have shown up, kicked some dark troopers' asses, and then taken the baby. Um, but this was Luke goddamn Skywalker and they should have utilized him in a way that mattered. And like, I'll, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. They should have just recast the, 
I was really hoping that the Mandalorian behind the scenes featuretty thing uh, would have like sold me on why they needed to film it this way. And it only confirmed more for me that this was bullshit and uh, they should have recast. Like, I didn't need Jon Favreau high as a goddamn kite talking about how terrorists were going to be using this in the future or whatever. It's like, dude, no, this looks terrible. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So so I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one who noticed that he was high as heck. Yeah, he was a mess. Oh, man, that was while we were watching it, like we just kept looking at each other and gradually realizing like, oh, no, he he is baked. Yeah, he was he was jacked up. Um, Amazing. Just I think it looks bad. And and again, like they're trying to do like hints and tricks to make it hard to notice, but that just draws more attention to it. And then what we learned from that, like, behind-the-scenes feature, Eddie, is that it's still not even Mark Hamill's performance. Yeah. So, what was the the point? I love the idea of having Mark in the costume running the scene, and then having the new kid, whose name I don't know. I forget. But having whatever his name... <laughs> I'm, I'm a bad podcaster. I should have looked this up. It's but all having, good. Having having new Luke like mimic him and like mimic his performance and like have Mark there to coach him just like um, Jonas learned from um, God Peter. Thank you. Having Jonas learn from Peter or we're gonna get letters. I know or what have you. Like yeah, have Hamill there to teach this kid how to be Luke Skywalker, but just let the kid act. Like, yeah, that's fair. And then you could have had, you know, some more dialogue. You could have had uh, a more more of a presence uh, to to make this cameo like stand out and feel worth it. That's and a very you would have good avoided point. the uncanny valley of it all. Yeah, that's a thing. I'm off my soapbox now. I'm done bitching. Ryan, it's all good. you can you can say everything you liked about it again to, <laughs> to make a nice little positive negative positive sandwich. I mean, I like um, I like seeing Bo Katan interact with Boba Fett. Yeah, the Mando scene is dope. Back that's to our qu- super interesting. What's our up? little segment about what did we learn about Mandalorians this episode? We learned a lot about Mandalorians. Yeah, the whole Darksaber heritage and the implication that, like, something really, you know, Bo-Katan lost the faith of the people. We learned that, and we also learned that, like, it seems like Mandalorians have a pretty negative view about clones. Yeah. And are probably pretty pissed at Jango Fett for being the clone army donor and then the clones turning on Mandalore after the siege of Mandalorian. And, you know, they promised to leave and we, we, uh, understand from siege of Mandalore that some stayed behind and probably occupied the planet. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. So they, they probably dislike clones in general and have a pretty good reason for disliking Boba Fett. 
which was really compelling shit. Yeah, incredibly. Sasha Banks and uh, Boba Fett have a dick measuring contest, which is yes. really fun too. When Mandalorians like go at it with each other, it's That's really great. cool. Is this the first live action fight between two Mandalorians? Uh, sort of. I mean, Din and Paz almost scuffle in season one, but if we don't count that, then... Well, I mean, Bo and Din scuffle a little bit at first, don't they? Like, that's not... Or no, she saves him. They don't really scuffle. Yeah. They verbally scuffle. Yeah, I think this would yeah. be it. First live-action fight between two Mandalorians. Very fun shit with, like, jetpacks and flamethrowers, and it's it's a damn good fight. Yeah. That was a fun, fun sequence. I also like the little detail that um, part of Dr. Pershing's ear is missing uh, in his later scenes. Oh, I didn't notice that. That is It is fun. not. It's like bleeding and everything. Like, once you notice it, you can't stop staring at it. So I'm sorry that I've ruined uh, what enjoyment you do get from this episode. But uh, it's pretty gory. And it's just not acknowledged. It's just a, a neat detail that I'm sure hair and makeup were very proud of. Gosh, for, for another negative. Um, Let's hear it. Uh, Gina Carano hmm. is a bad actor. Awful. Politics and, aside, awful. And I, I'm hesitant to bring that up because a lot of people brush aside her, uh, her turfy views and her her dangerous COVID politics and mm-hmm. just like general nastiness. They just kind of brush it aside and be like, "Oh, well, she's a bad actor, so like, what do you care?" <laughs> but like. All of that acknowledged. Listen to our other episodes. We we have beat that to death. Uh, but this episode in particular, where you really need her to emote and <laughs> yeah. act, uh, like she has a couple of really intense character moments, and she just fucking blows it every time. Yeah, and it's just it's it's awful. Uh, like she has someone talk about Alderaan exploding, and she does the same kind of cocky grin that carried her through yes. her other episodes, which like is kind of all she needed in them. That but hurt. this this moment with this Imperial being like, I was on the first Death Star, I saw Alderaan explode, and like she just has the same cocky grin and she gets to meet Luke Skywalker, the hero who avenged Alderaan, and like it's the same cocky grin. It's bad. She sucks. I don't understand. I know we've said this. I don't understand how she was cast in the first place. It seemed like they cared more about someone who could, like, do the stunts and do the choreography, which, like, I'm assuming that's why they got Sasha Banks. But Sasha Banks can fucking carry a scene. I don't think she's going to win... Uh, any awards or anything, but she is a fine actor. She is not noticeably bad, but Gina is a mess. Yeah, it's, it just, I don't know. It makes me wonder if they even auditioned or if they just reached out to her representation. And I will say that for season one, all she really needed was that cocky gray. Yeah, she still was her, pretty, her, no, go ahead. Her character beat is, I'm a badass. So, yeah. like, a cocksure grin will carry that for you. 
But in this episode, when she had like a couple character moments that really needed some work and some like death and emoting, she she whiffs it. Yeah, there's bad. There's no depth to it. I think I first noticed that in chapter seven, but here it's really on display. What else? Uh, I mean, there are tons of like little positives. I love a Imperial base raid. Yeah. And like pretty much the only scene in Rise of Skywalker I liked was them running around on the Star Destroyer. And I mean, obviously A New Hope is iconic for this, but uh, this was a really fun one. We got to like have the 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 fake chase and the crash landing, and we got to see the Tie Fighters shoot out, and then they're running all around the the cruiser, and Din is sneaking in the shadows like Obi Wan. It's it's really fun. It's it's a good it's a good beat. Yeah, it's it's a good Star Wars sequence. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is a hoot and a half as Gideon. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. Like, he just goes for broke and is chewing every scene and every (laughs) swing with the lightsaber. Uh, I do wish he was maybe a little more threatening. Yeah. Like, it it didn't seem like he was really a fencer. He he was kind of like baseball swinging that thing. But uh, it's still, like, a really fun fight. I love the effect of the Beskar getting superheated. Yes. It makes you think that, like, a lightsaber, given enough time, could cut through Beskar. When I was rewatching it, I was thinking about your soapbox about Beskar being too much of a, like, a deus ex machina kind of invincible armor, and I, I had the same thought. Uh... I like the Vader-esque appearance of the Dark Troopers, which is something that I don't think I noticed before this watch-through, but, like, if you asked a kid to draw Darth Vader's helmet, they would draw what the Dark Troopers look like, and that's really fun. And the red eyes remind me of the, like, old comic booky appearances of Fader where he's got like the red glow to his eyes. I don't know. It's neat. It is. They, um, I think only in a new hope they used red lenses for Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. He was always supposed to. Yeah. But you could see the trouble is. And again, I will, I will ruin it because once you can see it, you can't unsee it. You can see Dave Prowse's eyes like a lot in a new hope. That's why they switched away from the red. Yeah, I like, honestly, bringing the Dark Troopers in overall was, I didn't know how I felt about it at first. Uh, Dark Forces is not one of my favorite games. The original isn't. I like the later ones, but it works. Yeah, it's uh, it's very fun. Uh, they're, they're a good antagonist. I hope we get more of them in, um, I don't know, Book of Boba Fett or Mando 3. We should probably talk about the... Uh, the whole time during the episode, I was I was wondering where Boba Fett had gone, and that after credit sequence, I felt was a pretty solid tease. It it feels weird to me that they did not call him back for help, uh, but yeah. you know whatever. Uh, 
my well, final knew... negative is the fat phobia with Bib Fortuna. Yes, yes. That, that's my final negative. That, that was unnecessary. I, I love that they got the actor back, though, who played Bib Fortuna. That's very fun. Yeah. I think he's also General Grievous. He is Matthew Wood. He's he's Love I it. mean, he works at Skywalker Sound and he he's also the he gave himself a role in each of the prequels. He's the what the taxi driver in Attack of the Clones. Love that. Yeah. And he's a really good dude. And if you ever get the chance to meet him at a convention, you should. Uh, I love the McClunky of it all. <laughs> McClunky. What? We, we we this week, as of recording this, we got a Book of Boba Fett trailer what's on your wish list for this series um his heritage i i want his posthumous relationship with Django and him trying to live up to what that is and finding out who Django was that's good stuff um, thank you also about that trailer i love that it didn't tell us anything that we didn't get from this post credit scene yeah, it really feels like they only showed scenes from, like, the first two episodes, yeah. which I think is great. How about you? I mean, I have a wish list a mile long of, like, I would love live-action Hondo. I would yeah. love to see uh, the some of the bounty hunters from ESB show up. Yeah. I would... Love, uh, this is like a deep, a deep, highly unlikely wish. I would love Talon Card. Ooh. I, I, I mean, look, we got Dark Troopers. Talon Card is not that unlikely. Dave is a fan of the Thrawn trilogy. I'm sure John is familiar with it. I don't think much of the Thrawn trilogy holds up anymore. Uh, I, I've no. gone on record and said that it was incredible for its time. We we have, I think, better stories now. But the two things that like undisputedly kick ass from the Thrawn trilogy are Grand Admiral Thrawn and Talon Card. Uh, Mara Jade gets better when better writers write her. She's not very good in the Thrawn trilogy. Agreed. But uh, Talon Card, if you have not read it, is a information broker and, like, criminal. And he ends up forming a smuggler's alliance and helping the heroes defeat uh, the Imperial Remnant. And it feels like maybe that's what Boba Fett is doing. Like, maybe Boba Fett is going to be Talon Card for this Thrawn reemergence that it seems like is coming but um i could see it i like that it, i hadn't considered if, that if we get uh actual talent card showing up or just a reference to him i would be thrilled uh because i love that character i think he is really cool i remember there was um, a rumor that the wild card was in phantom menace and the coruscant traffic but that was debunked it's funny uh Pedro Pascal was my headcanon for mm. Talon Card. I was running a Star Wars RPG uh, maybe like five or six years ago, and I just told like the party, like, picture Pedro Pascal whenever you're interacting with Talon Card. So I like that. I like it's that. It's very fun that he's the Mandalorian now. Yeah. I don't know who I would want to cast as Talon Card, but that's a whole other tangent. Yeah, I I mean, 
I mean, Timothy Zahn modeled him for the merchandise, but I don't think that's a good casting. <laughs> yeah, he had like a big mutton chop mustache, right? He sure did. Love that for him. Wow. The 90s, everyone. The 90s. Oh, man. Yeah, Talon Card is, is, is as 90s Star Wars as Dash Rendar. Oh, uh, obviously I want I want my, my boy Till- Timothy Oliphant back. Yeah, I want to continue the Hutlet the Hutlet story that he had in Aftermath. I can see them ignoring that and just hoping no one asks. But <laughs> I can uh, too. I have a feeling like if he's trying to keep the peace and Boba Fett is trying to run some sort of syndicate out of Boba's palace, that the you know the marshal might show up. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Any other uh, random thing you want to see? At the end of it all, uh, assuming this is the only season, I'm sure it's not, I want to see, uh, we, we pull back and an old man, Tamara Morrison, with a big Captain Rex beard, is sitting in a rocking chair, talking to a bunch of little fets. And he's writing in a, in a blank, like a diary with a quill, and he finishes. And then he closes the book, and the front of the book says, The Book of Boba Fett. Not really. I don't want that. Um, I think, I think honestly, I, the Django thing is my number one. Do you want flashbacks? Like, do you want Tamora Morrison playing him, playing Django? <sighs> I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. I want Boba discovering his heritage, and if that serves that purpose, I would be open to a flashback. I wouldn't be mad about it. Maybe with the helmet on, just because Django died so young. Um, But, I I mean, I want to know more about Django's life before the prequels. I don't think this is the right show for that. Yeah, I... uh... I wouldn't be opposed to like some hints about Django and then maybe getting like a spin-off novel or comic or something. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's uh let's wrap it there. This has been our Mando rewatch uh breakdown of every Mandalorian themed Star Wars episode. I think we learned a lot about Mandalorians and we're wrapping this up just in time for Book of Boba Fett in a month. Yeah, so, it's good timing. Uh, it's almost like we perfectly planned it that way. Almost, instead of just our schedules. Ryan, what did you learn about Mandalorians on this Mandalorian theme to rewatch? Fair. Uh, I learned that it's called a T-visor because it's shaped like the letter T. No, um, I learned that... I mean, really, I learned that it's a really rich story to watch the way we did. And it's kind of like Space Game of Thrones, but without a shitty ending. I can't think of anything that's not a cliche. I mean, there is a common thread of honor and Mandalorian protagonists that are driven by their understanding of honor and Mandalorian antagonists that are driven by their misunderstanding of honor and putting their trust in the wrong people. Well said. Yeah, I think for me, I really learned that uh, there's more to Mandalorians than just the, like, 
90s badass extreme of it all. Yes. Which, uh, you know, I think shows like Clone Wars and Rebels and The Mandalorian were, you know, pushing back against uh, very intentionally. And watching In This Order, I think, gave me a deeper appreciation for that. Agreed. And uh, Karen Travis can't write a book. No, she cannot. One one last Karen Travis dig uh, as we wrap. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. We're going to be doing a uh, a quick breakdown of Star Wars Visions, and then we're going to yeah. do another like absurd deep dive through multiple shows again with a new yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good one. Yeah. But you'll have to wait for that. Because uh, this is going to do it for us. Follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for our intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are incredibly grateful to be part of the Where They May Radio Network. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon at Patreon slash WTM Radio, as well as bonus content from Music and Lyrics by Ending Pending and Fan Fiction is Good, actually. Ryan. Yes. How do we end the show? Telling the boy about his parents is the way. Where they may, radio.